Open your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 4. We're looking this morning back in 1 John. We took a week off for Easter. But back in 1 John, going through verse by verse. And we're to chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. And we'll complete that chapter, Lord willing, this morning. It's a chapter that deals with doubts. And it's about the doubts that we would have concerning whether we're really going to heaven or not. Do you sometimes in the dark of night, you get sick, you're troubled, lots of things are bothering you, and you think, you know, I, I could die. In those moments, do you have any doubt where you're going to wake up? Do you know for sure you're going to be in heaven if you do not breathe longer on this earth? Let me read it to you. First John, hear God's word, beginning at verse 19, verse chapter 3. By this we shall know, that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments, and we do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. True story... There was, down in Florida, there was a mom who had taken her mom to the hospice house. They were only giving her a few days to live. And when they looked like they might be in their last conversation, the daughter asked mom, said, Mom, when you die and get to heaven, if it's everything you thought it would be, if you get to talk to Jesus and God, and everything's okay, could you just somehow send me a sign? And could the sign be one red rose? And the mom said, you know, I'm in heaven, you're on earth, I don't see how that's possible, but with God, all things are possible. I can't promise, but with God, all things are possible. Got to the funeral home. The daughter was receiving friends. Mom's in the casket. And as she was receiving friends, a man came in through the door with a cane. So he you know, caught people's attention as he came in. And he was holding in his hand a rose. Daughter didn't know. Who this man was. I don't, I don't know. She, she was shaking hands, talking to people in the line. This guy finally gets out of line, walks up to the casket, and he puts the rose in her mother's hands. And so she got out of line, went and grabbed him before he left. She said, I got I, I to know why you did that. He said, Who are you? He said, well, I don't know you. He says, well, God has just been telling me all day long. Get, a, get one red rose and go put it in this lady's hand. She says, that's all I know. That I had to come here. 
and I had to put a red rose in your mother's hand. That's a pretty cool story. Does that mean God's going to do that for you? No promises, okay? No promises. But here's what we do know. Our God is just as compassionate and just as tender and just as concerned with your doubts as he was with that daughter's doubts. And though he might not use a red rose to assure you that everything's all right for one of your relatives in heaven or would be all right for you, though he might not use a rose, he's used the letter. And he's given us the letter. And it's right here in 1 John chapter 3. Did you notice twice he, he said this? Verse 19, by this we shall know. He said, I want you to know. I don't want you to have doubts. And he repeats it again in verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and God in him. And by this we know that he's in us. He said, I don't want you to be walking this earth with doubts. I want you to know. And so he's given us a letter to remove the doubts. You have this morning power over those doubts by just reading his letter to you. And letting that letter penetrate your heart so that you understand. Um, how does he let us know through this letter? And I've given you two things. Number one, factual persuasion. And then number two, fruitful prayer. Through these things, he will let you and me know. So that we're not sitting there saying, well, I'm 98% sure. No, we could be 100% sure that we abide in God and we will be with him for all eternity. And that's something worth knowing. First of all, um, factual persuasion. He mentions verse 20. For whenever our hearts condemn us. Ever had that problem? Where your hearts, your mind is telling you things? You're not a Christian. <laughs> what makes you think you're a Christian after that? You know, your heart sometimes condemns you. Have you ever, uh, you know, just not wanted to talk to somebody because you condemned them? And condemnation hurts a relationship. It hurts fellowship. Uh, our hearts at times do condemn us. What are we to do? Verse 19 says, I want you to reassure your heart. He says, know that, that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. So whenever you've got that doubt in your mind, you can remove that doubt if you've got truth by reassuring your heart. Um, we've got two things. We've got greater facts as believers, and we've got a greater Father as believers. Our Father and those facts can reassure our heart that we are His. Um, uh, the, the word reassure here, it's only found one, one other place in the Bible. That's in Matthew 28. Don't need to go there. Just, but there it helps me see that to reassure just means to satisfy. It means to win over. And you can win over your heart. You can satisfy your conscience with the facts and with God the Father. And that's what God is asking us to do. Dominate the doubts. 
with truth. Speak to your own self. Speak to your own heart. What are we supposed to speak? Notice the second word, verse 19. By this. By what? Well, we've been gone from this passage for a few weeks. Let me refer you back. By this, he's been speaking about a love Christians cannot suppress in the previous verses, especially verses 16, 17, 18. He says, by this we know love, verse 16. And he begins talking about a love that's in us as believers, and we can't suppress it. Then you get down at verse 19, he says, by this, this love that you as a believer cannot suppress, by that love you can reassure your heart that you are genuinely in Christ. If your heart starts condemning you, reassure it by this. By this love that we have. We have a love non-Christians don't have. Don't focus on your failures. Focus on the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. At times when our hearts condemn us, Satan is saying, you're nothing, you're worthless, you did this, you did that, that's bad. And God is saying, no, reassure your heart that you're changed. You've been transformed by the Spirit and now have a Christian's disposition. You have a love that cannot be suppressed. And you can start looking through your life, your catalog of living, and begin to see facts. Remember those facts. Remember the, the facts of 1 John 3, 16, 17, 18. Those things that you did uh, that you would have never done as a non-believer. Replay them in your mind. Difference between time without Christ and the time with Christ. When our conscience is condemning us, it's not necessarily time to pray. It's time to replay. Replay the life that God's been having in you and working through you. That life of love. And as you replay that... Reassure your hearts. You know, I would have never stuck around a youth meeting to encourage a kid before Christ. But now I love those kids. And I want to help them out. Replay that. You know, I would have never probably stayed in my marriage had it not been for Christ. But now I love my wife. And I love my husband. And... Christ has made the difference. Replay that. You know, I would have probably fell to temptation had it not been Christ, but the love of Christ led me to love the person tempting me and not try to hurt them. Replay that. Replay a love for the church. I'm not a drive-by Christian that just drives by the church. I participate actively. And you know, I wouldn't have done that before because I, I didn't really love those people. But now I do. And that's because of Christ. And I can't not do these things because of Christ. And when I hear people in trouble, I pray because of, I love them with my heart. Replay that. I visit them. I send communication to them because of Christ. 
God says, I want you to reassure your heart of these things. Give you a, a, a few verses. You've got this verse of, of loving the brethren. You can't suppress it. You've got the, the verse that I shared a few weeks ago in John 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus says, by this, the whole world will know you're my disciples by your love. You can't suppress this love. It's transforming. And others will know it. And it won't just be a love for mankind. It'll also be a love for the church. Look at Galatians. Last chapter. Um, Galatians 6 verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's the church. It says, as Christians, this love is, is, is a love that you want to do good for everybody, but especially the church. Oh, I love the church. Why? Because the church are those for whom Christ died and spilt his blood, and they have such value and significance in the eyes of God. I especially give myself there. See, I never did that as a non-Christian. I don't know any non-Christian who does. This is a love that you have as a believer. Replay that. Reassure your heart of that. I'll give you even another one that's a little bit even harder. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Also, um, last chapter, beginning at verse 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That's where this is going. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. In other words, love your preacher, okay? But notice how he said it. These preachers, they lead you, they're over you, and they admonish you. Do you enjoy loving people who admonish you? Most people don't. If you've got a real preacher, preacher that God wants, God says one of the tendencies of churches is to... Uh, Accumulate to themselves preachers who say what they want said. Some people call it tickle my ears, preaching. And then he says in 1 Timothy 4, he says to preachers, I want you to preach the word in season and out of season. Because it's not always in season. People don't like preachers who admonish them. In other words, tell you what you're doing wrong. Tell you what you need to do different. But... As Christians, you see, I, I wouldn't hang out with that person as a non-Christian. person who's always telling me what I need to do, where I'm wrong, what I need to do different. I'm not hanging out with you. I don't need more of that. Right? But as a believer, if, if it's the Word of God, if somebody's telling me the Word of God, it's like, I want to hear it. I don't want to hear 
what's fashionable. I don't want to hear what I delight in. I want to hear what God needs me to hear. And you start loving it. You don't have that as an obligation. You say, replay that. You have a love for the Word of God even when it corrects you, even when it rebukes you, even when it admonishes you. That's something the non-believer doesn't have. Replay that. Reassure your heart. There are facts that are undeniable. You are or are not a believer. So back in 1 John chapter 3. Our facts are indeed greater. Sacrificial things that are happening in our lives now that we didn't have before. Um, second, our Father's greater. Verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And He knows everything. It's like, there's no doubt about this. Just listen to God. God's greater than your heart. Pay attention to what He has to say. Um, he says He loves you. He says He's sent His Son to die for you. To bring you up into his family to adopt you and make you his church under his word under his spirit just appeal to the facts the love for God the love of God for his church is so much greater well what else can we do we've got this factual persuasion where you're telling me I gotta spend some time just talking to myself I gotta coach up I got to listen to what I already know, yes. But then there's other evidence that God gives us to remove the doubts, and that's fruitful prayer. Beginning at verse 21, he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we've got confidence before God. In other words, you can go into the presence of God and you can ask things, you can talk to Him. And he says, verse 20, <coughs> excuse me, verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Because we keep His commandments and we do what He pleases. Do what He pleases. So our prayers are fruitful. We ask things and we get answers to our prayers. Uh, prayer is a tool to remove our doubts. And God wants us to use that as well. Um, how do we use it? First of all, and I put down here three things you can think about. The position, the practice, the person. The position that you take in prayer, I'm not talking about a physical position like kneeling or lying prostrate or standing. I'm talking about a position that you take as to your status. You have a non-condemned status before God. Take that position. God, I come to you in prayer because I'm coming through Christ. Christ has paid for my sins. I'm no longer condemned before you because Christ has taken all the condemnation from me. There's now no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1. Take that position as you go to God in prayer. Have you ever uh, said to somebody, don't come near me, I don't want to talk to you, don't come near me, just go on, I'll maybe later, don't want to talk. Why? Because you condemn them. They've done something, they hurt you in your mind, as far as I'm concerned, you're already condemned. I don't, I don't need to talk. Condemnation keeps the conversation from happening. God says, I want you to take a position 
where you're not condemned, I want you to come. I want you to come before me and I want you to ask whatever you will. I want that position in your heart when you come to me in prayer. Look at Psalm 66. Gives a description of this. Psalm 66, 18, 19, and 20. The psalmist says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what He has done for my soul. I cried to Him, so I prayed. I prayed with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. Verse 18, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So I laid it out there. If I tried to hide it from God, who knows all things, that's not going to work. If I, so I didn't. I just, God, I'm a sinner. I need help. But truly God, verse 19, has listened. He has paid, a, he has attended to the voice of my prayer. He's paid attention, verse 20. Blessed be God because he's not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. What a glorious promise that we have there. When you go to God in prayer, lay it out. Lord, I'm a sinner, but I have Christ. I come in the name of Christ. I come through the person of Christ. I, I, I need cleansing from sin, yes. But I'm not coming before you as one who is condemned because of his sin. I'm coming before you as one who's been forgiven. My status now is no condemnation. And so because I have that status, that's my position, I can make a request. I can ask and I can get answers. The position of our heart doesn't condemn us so that we have confidence when we pray. Do you have that confidence? Do you pray with confidence? God, I know you hear me. Why? Because you just forgave me. You love me. You don't condemn me. You don't crush me. That's our God. Hebrews chapter 4. You, you need this verse memorized if you don't. You just the, the joy and the glory of knowing that Christ is always interceding for us and that He wants to pray for us, that He wants us before Him. Hebrews 4, um, verse 14 to the end says, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive grace and mercy in time of need. With confidence. That's something again. The unbeliever doesn't have. I, they don't have confidence. That God's listening to them. We do. Let's use that as a tool. That reassures us. I have a position before God. That's unprecedented. I stand before him. As one who is not condemned. Because Christ is my high priest. And he bids me come to the throne of grace through him that he might apply his grace to me and he might answer my prayers.
what a blessed tool God's given us, the tool of prayer that reassures us that we're His. Second, the practice of prayer. Go back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. And this might bother some of you, but let's see what it says. 1 John 3, verse 22. And then whatever we ask, we receive from Him because, catch this phrase, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Notice what it did not say. It says He hears our prayers. It doesn't say because Jesus keeps the commandments for us. Didn't say that. That's what we wanted to say. We want to, we want to live a life where we don't have to do anything. Right? It says no. He hears our prayers because we keep His commandments and we do what pleases Him. Sanctification, not justification. Did Jesus keep the commandments for us? Did, was He righteous for us? Yes. Did He take our sin for us? Yes. Why did He do all of this? To, re, to redeem us. Then to fill us with His Spirit. So that His Spirit causes us now to keep His commandments and do whatever pleases Him. We now are transformed by Christ. And because we're transformed by Christ, we keep commandments. We do what pleases God. And God says, it matters to me. Whether or not I answer your prayer based on how you're keeping the commandments and doing what pleases me. This is something God says, and non-Christians don't do. Christians do them. We know the commands, and we keep the commands because we know, hey, that's, that's the life that pleases my Savior, my Redeemer. I want to be before Him as one who brings Him pleasure. And His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I just love being with Him and abiding in Him. And because I'm abiding in Him, I do what pleases Him. I do His commandments. I keep His commandments. And it, that practice... Gives me fruitful prayer. Struggle with that a little bit. Okay? Let me give you an example of it. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is kind of particular to, to men. So you disobedient men, listen up, okay? Now, I got all the women's attention right there. All right, Hebrews, James, Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 3. Pages are sticking. 1 Peter, chapter 3. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Catch the last phrase. So that... Your prayers may not be hindered. Did you catch that? He gave three tasks for men to do, responsible, obedient tasks. He says, men, I want you to live with your wives in an understanding way. Quit being a jerk. Start understanding her and live with her with understanding. 
uh, he goes on, he says, treat her with great respect. The vessel that God has made her to be, uh, treat her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. She's equal with you before the Father. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Oh, and by the way, if you won't do that, then I'm not listening to what you've got to ask. I'm not listening to your prayers. Did you catch it? That obedience mattered for hearing, for God hearing prayer. When husbands start loving their wives like Christ loved the church, I've just seen over and over some men come to faith in Christ after their wives and say, I'll never catch up, never catch up. She's so smart. I said, will you love her like Christ loved the church? I said, why? I said, because as soon as you do, God's going to start answering your prayers. Ask him anything you ask, he'll give it to you. You ask him for knowledge, he'll give you knowledge. You ask him to catch up, he'll catch you up. And I've seen it happen over and over and over. These men just excel. Because they start loving their wives like Christ loved the church. And God listens to their prayers. And there are examples of that in the scripture. And we want to shirk back. God says, no, no, that's going to give you doubts. That's going to raise doubts you don't need. Are you genuine or not? Because you're not living the transformed life. The life where the spirit teaches you obedience. Give you another verse. Look at Ezekiel. Just remind God's. Just reminded me of this. This is a great verse. Ezekiel chapter 36. It's verse 26 or 27. Let me read both. Ezekiel 36. God says, I will give you a new heart. Verse 26. And I'll put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. And catch this. I put my spirit within you and cause you. Might want to circle. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'll cause it. You don't even have to worry about it. If you let me put my spirit within you, you will start being obedient. You will want to know the commands and you'll want to keep the commands. That's something the believer doesn't have. Is the spirit of God living in them to keep them obedient. And through that obedience... So we have this position of non, no condemnation before God. And then we have this practice of obedience. And through that obedience, there's answers to prayer. God says, ask whatever you will. If you're asking according to my will, why would I not want to do it? I'm going to answer those prayers. Because their prayers consistent with what already pleases me. And you begin to see the power of God working through you and transforming you. And it's, it's such a beautiful tool to remove doubts. I have no doubts. I'm with God. God's with me. And he's with me in ways that transforms my life. And then third reason, a fruitful prayer, position, practice, the person. Um, verse 24, 1 John 3. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know. There's this abiding relationship through keeping God's commands and through God being in us. Think John 15, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Branches and vine, they've got to abide in one another, right? And if they abide in one another, there's fruit. There's obedience. 
And I came to abide in you that you might produce that fruit. He says, just see that what's happening is the person of Christ is within you. You have the, the continual presence of God that's changing you. It's the Spirit of God. Another place to look at it would be Romans chapter 8. Look, look there real quickly. Romans 8. And here it talks about the Spirit that enables us, again, to put to death disobedience and to put on obedience. Romans chapter 8. Um, lost my place again. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. See, that's pretty, pretty simple. But So I don't want to live according to the flesh. I want to live according to the Spirit. How do I do that? Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. See, again, an assurance. I'm a Christian because I'm led by the Spirit of God. How do you know you're led by the Spirit of God? He tells us right here in the text. Um, verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So is this prayer going on. You, you have this spirit in, in, in you that enables you to pray in intimate terms with God. As though he were your father, as though he were your daddy. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, what did, what did he say back in verse 13? Put to death the deeds of the body. What's the Spirit do? He's doing two things. He's telling you to say no to sin, put to death the deeds of the body, and he's telling you to say yes to Jesus. Abba, Father, to pray. How does that, it was talked about a minute ago, repentance. You're turning from this, you're turning back to God. That repentance is a gift of God given to His family, to believers. As believers, we have it. That's an assurance. It removes the doubts. Because this person of the Spirit is in us, causing us to keep commands, causing us to turn from sin, to put to death, to mortify sin, and to cry out in the most intimate terms to God the Father. That's a spirit thing. It's a God thing. Replay that. That beautiful tool you experience every day in prayer. And that reminds you, you're in God. He's in you. The doubts are removed. So if you're one of those people that you're struggling, say, David, I'm just not sure sometimes whether I'm a Christian or not. Do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Well, I try. Do you talk with Him? Do you hear Him talking to you through the letter of His law? Is He regularly turning you from sin and to Him? Is He teaching you His law and giving you a delight in it just for the sheer pleasure 
of being in his presence? Do you love his church? Even when the church is preaching to you things that are contrary to what you're constantly doing or maybe even have delighted in. Do you have this, this sense that they're family? They are a household of like-mindedness, of faith in Christ that I can't get away from. I must be in their lives and they're in mine. Do you have this? And I say, they say, yes. Then I don't have any doubts. You're his. And he's yours. Replay that. Reassure your heart of that. Remove those doubts so that you can walk not only into God's presence and confidence, but walk this life in confidence that you're his. If you don't have that confidence, you've got business with God today. Oh, we, we would hurt to find you dying and not know for sure whether you belong to Jesus or not. Your first order of business should be to be right with God. Be confident of your position, your practice, your place before God. We don't want those doubts to restrict, hold back, hinder, make your life miserable. Let's pray together. Father, we come to be a people with a clean conscience, a people with a freed conscience, a people whose hearts are reassured over and over and over that we are secure in Christ Jesus. We know that that confidence doesn't come by what we do. It comes because of what you've done. That you have sent us your Son. You have sent us your Spirit and transformed us into the people of God. Father, let that transformation be abundantly clear to each of us. For those who are in need of that transformation, send your spirit, convict them of truth, draw them to yourself, grant them the grace of repentance and faith in Christ forevermore. We give you praise, Lord, for your concern and care and compassion and tenderness for our doubts and your plan, your passion to remove them. In Jesus' name, amen.